Coming up, as the end of the first round of the NBA playoffs draws near, are the Sixers feeling the pressure as their 3-0 series lead brings them to Toronto with a possible Game 7, staring them right in the face? Also, Doc Rivers' comments on blowing big series leads has yours truly bewildered? The Mets are arguably the hottest team in baseball, but also hot under the collar, especially after what happened in St. Louis this week. A less-than-stellar NFL draft begins tonight as I'll deliver a preview. And the NHL finally concludes their season tomorrow with the playoffs on the horizon. I'll have all that and then some in just a matter of moments. But first, this message. What has happened to my good people? Thank you so much for passing by to listen to me wax poetic as I talk about anything and everything that's happening in the world of sports. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm on all available platforms. You can also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information about yours truly, the podcast, archive shows, etc. All I want to do is increase the visibility of this podcast, so please throw me a few stars, write a review. It will go a long way into getting the word out. Even take a screenshot, send it to your friends, send it to me on social media. I'm more than happy, willing, able, and open to get your feedback on what it is that you enjoy most about the J Reels podcast. So with that being said, let's hit it. The J Reels podcast begins in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Let's get this sports podcast party started, all right? The J Reels podcast. Why don't you wait until July 1st to make an announcement? What a disgrace. He can rack up all these numbers in October, November, and December, but what really counts is let me see this in January. The Sports Rebel Without a Pause, delivering fast-paced, jam-packed sports talk like no other. Listen, I gotta call it as I see it, he is not a good player. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Rules Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's well, feeling fantastic, and excellent spirits. And even though yours truly is trying to keep his spirits afloat, because as we step out of our doors this morning, especially if you're living in the Northeast, in particular New York City, late April is sure feeling like late November, as it is 40 degrees with a wind chill of 32. So, spring... The door is open for you to walk right in and bring us some 70, 72, 75 degree weather so we could at least breathe some spring fresh air, rejoice with some short sleeves, maybe some shorts there I say, but you didn't come for a weather report, I just had to vent a little bit before I get started, and Lord knows, you've come to listen to me babble about sports and vent about various things, well, you're certainly in the right place as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who've been banging with me, whether going back to the very beginning, somewhere in the middle, or even if you just started listening to me this past Monday, I welcome you guys and gals back. Quite a bit to get into. I know it's been a few days since Monday where the sports world is kind of staying afloat as we're getting through an NHL season, which will finally wrap up tomorrow. Also, with everything that's happening in baseball, I'll get into the Mets, of course, my beloved Mets, but... It's a lot deeper than just their 14-6 and six start. And also the NFL draft, which kicks off tonight, and there has been very little buzz. I don't care if you're a dying NFL fan. This is one that, unless you're just knee-deep in mock drafts, this is one that you could pretty much put aside and turn on your TV tonight, and you won't even know what to expect. So 
I'll get into that a little bit later on. But as we get started here, first and foremost, we're getting toward the end of the first round of the NBA playoffs. And we could go through various storylines of what happened. I'm not going to go down the Kyrie Irving, Brooklyn Net Road. All you got to do is listen to the podcast on Monday and pretty much get my thoughts on what they should do this offseason. Chances are they're probably not going to do half of the things, whether it's releasing the coach, Steve Nash, or Kyrie going elsewhere, as you heard in his postgame comments, that he pretty much wants to stick around and see this thing out with he and his counterpart, Kevin Durant. So that one I'm just going to put aside. When we look at some of the other series, Golden State wraps up their first round easy series against the Denver Nuggets. The Nuggets were able to save face and win a game there on Sunday. But whether it's that, the Bucks winning yesterday, beating the Alex Caruso and Zach Levine-less Chicago Bulls. As for the Miami Heat, no Jimmy Butler. No Kyle Lowry, no problem, even though it came down to the final possession there in Game 5 between the Hawks and Heat. But the Miami Heat survive and are able to move on to the next round as they took Trey Young to the back of the woodshed the whole series as he was not a factor. And pretty much that's a game tape that a lot of teams are going to look at moving forward into next year and especially into the postseason. And it just goes to show you that when you go through a regular season – where, of course, you're going to have ebbs and flows, ups and downs. But when you're a player like Trey Young who could go off at any moment, and even though you're going city to city and you're facing either good team, great team, bad team, awful team, you could have these stretches where you can be dominant, where you can be that guy who's going to be the face of your franchise and lead your team. But as we saw in this series, Trey Young was just no match for whatever the Miami Heat had to throw at him, even though he did have the game-winning floater there in Game 3 last Friday night. But with all that being said, and I'll get to the other two series, which will have consequences, whether we'll see a Game 7 or these series will conclude, whether it's Utah-Dallas, Minnesota-Memphis, Phoenix, and the New Orleans Pelicans. But the One storyline going into tonight that's going to be fascinating is what's going to happen in Toronto with the Philadelphia 76ers. And they're going to be the next team that the Miami Heat, you would think, will face in the Eastern Conference semifinals. But for the Sixers at this very moment, knowing that they have to take another trip up north without one of their key members of the team in a one Matisse Teibel, And all you could say right now, if you're the city of Philadelphia, you are holding your collective breaths to make sure that you get out of the series alive. It doesn't matter if you win tonight. Of course, you want to seal the deal and have a rocking chair type game, a 112-87 type of affair where you could exhale and say, okay, let's bring on the heat and take it from there. Or if it goes to a game seven Saturday night in your building, and even if it comes down to the final seconds to where the game is tied, or if you have a lead, most likely that's what the Sixer fan would even hope for. Or God forbid you're even trailing by one or by two in the final minute and you get that game-tying shot to go into overtime and win or to get a game-winning shot a la what happened to you a few years back with Kawhi Leonard. I understand the game was tied at that point, but it doesn't matter how it's done, style points, ugly, pretty, rocking chair, it doesn't matter. All you're hoping for is that your team prevails and goes on to the next round. 
And really, it doesn't matter how you do it. And if you're Doc Rivers in particular, I know that he probably hasn't slept in the last couple days because with all of the pressure that's mounting on him to come to this franchise to not necessarily save it, but knowing his track record, whether he was in Orlando, Boston, L.A. with the Clippers, and then now here in Philadelphia, knowing that this whole process, going back to the early part of the 20-teens, and with all the deals that were made, especially here in the middle of the year with James Harden coming to Philadelphia, and knowing that this is a team that pretty much had championship aspirations. No, not just to get to a conference final. No, not just get to an NBA final, but to win the whole thing. And we know the back of Doc Rivers' coaching basketball card. Yes, we know about the championship in 2008. But of course, he has those terrible 3-1 series leads that he had coughed up in two different spots to where you have to really wonder, going back to that Sixer fan, is he going to be able to come out of the series alive knowing that three 3-1 series leads under his watch, have gone kaput. Could there actually be, for the first time in NBA history, a team blow a 3-0 series lead? We've never seen it happen. And Coach Doc Rivers, he made comments early in the week after their Monday night loss to where the Raptors pretty much ran him out of the building. And again, this was without Fred Van Vliet, one of their key defensive players, and we all know he's a clutch shooter and has shown that in his playoff career. Scotty Barnes, who was out early in the series with an injury, came back, played decent, wasn't great, but contributed along with Pascal Siakam, contributed with OG Anunobi, and now Toronto in their building with their fans, knowing that they have an opportunity to push this thing to a Game 7, you know that they're going to do whatever it takes to be that sixth man to try to get this series back to Philadelphia and then... It's pretty much anyone's series. And going back to Doc Rivers, in his post-game comments, when brought up the 3-1 series leads that he had blown, whether it was in Orlando, when he lost to Detroit in 2003, and even then he said, oh, we're a young team, we were an eighth seed, nobody picked us to win the series anyway. All right, Doc, I'll give you that one. And that's the famous Tracy McGrady quote after game four, when they were up 3-1 where he said, oh, it feels good to go on to the second round. And we know that was the kiss of death for one McGrady who, other than, I believe, a stay in San Antonio very late in his career, never made it out of the first round of the playoffs. But then you had what took place in L.A. as a member of the Clippers, whether it was 2015, where he had a 3-1 series lead. More importantly, game six in his building to where Chris Paul was a no-show. That was the famous game that the Rockets, James Harden was on the bench when they were down double digits in the third quarter to where Josh Smith and Corey Brewer had to pull him out of the fire. And then the Clippers ended up losing game six and then had to go to Houston and lose a game seven to where Doc Rivers came out and said, well, we didn't have Chris Paul in the first two games. All right, that may be a fact, Doc Rivers, but... You did have a 3-1 series lead. And even if Chris Paul was playing in a game six with an ailing injury, 
you still had a double-digit lead in the third quarter of that game, and I believe double digits going into the fourth quarter, to where you weren't able to seal the deal and go on to the next round. So for him to bring up how he didn't have Chris Paul in the first two games, it's useless. Because when we look at game six, and them having an opportunity to close out that series at home, as the coach of the team, he wasn't able to do so. So he had that on his hands, and that was one I totally disagreed with. And then we'll look at the bubble in 2020 when his Clipper team had a 3-1 series lead against the Denver Nuggets, and then we just saw that implode to the point in the Game 7 where you had Paul George taking shots that were hitting off the side of the backboard, Kawhi Leonard, who we understand he's a quiet assassin, he's not a guy that's going to take over as far as from a personality standpoint. But even Kawhi Leonard, who came off of a championship the year before in Toronto and how he wasn't able to transition his luck and, let's just say it, his fame when he played up in Canada to the bubble and close out the Denver Nuggets when they could have after taking a 3-1 series lead. And even though... Doc Rivers said, special case, it was the bubble. We would have had game seven at home if it was a normal year. Is he right about that? He is. But what he's wrong is that he still had three shots to take out the Nuggets and to go out and play in a Western Conference final against the Los Angeles Lakers, which I get would have been a little buzz because it was in the bubble It wasn't as if the games would have been played at the time in the Staples Center where we would have had probably six or seven games with the Battle of LA. But he's wrong because he could talk about the bubble all he wants and yes, special case, but you just needed to win one game. And he wasn't able to do that. And now here he is. It's 3-2 and there's still no pressure on the Sixers. But heaven forbid they lose this game tonight. And it doesn't matter how they lose. I think if you're a Sixer fan, you'd want to get blown out. You'd want to lose similar to the way you did the other night at home in Philadelphia to where you just throw it in the toilet and you come back on Saturday and you just hope to get off to a good start, stay in front, do not let the Raptors get back in the game, just put the proverbial foot on their necks and then coast to a victory And then you go to Miami for game one. I believe it'll be Monday or Tuesday night. In fact, it'll be Monday night in Miami. So even with the hands slowly but surely squeezing the necks of the Sixer organization and that ball club, tonight, they don't really face a lot of pressure. I get it. They're on the road. I get it. Not to say Toronto is... Madison Square Garden circa 1994 or a crowd like the TD Bank Garden in Boston. Trying to think of another building that has, that's just raucous and has a tremendous amount of support from their fan base. But the Sixers, you would think they'll come out of this series alive. At least I think so. And if it does go into a Game 7, I couldn't even tell you right now. There's a part of me that says the Sixers will win. There's no way that they will gag this. 
And to think only two teams in the history of the NBA have come back from 0-3 deficits. The last one being the Portland Trailblazers of 2002 against Dirk's Mavericks to where they opened up a 3-0 series lead. And I believe that was in the first round of that postseason. Maybe it was the second round. I know it was no later than the second round. But then they came all the way back and then Dallas was able to prevail there in that final game seven to beat the Blazers. Let's see if the Raptors will be able to pull that feed off to where they could push this to a Game 7. I would love to see it. It would be fascinating. I think the NBA actually needs it, considering you had Brooklyn swept out of the postseason. Of course, the Lakers nowhere to be found. Obviously, a lot of these series have pretty much been over in the East other than this Sixer-Raptors series. Yes, you have a little bit of intrigue with some of the other series out West, which I'll get into, and hopefully those go to a seventh game. But this one right now, everybody's going to be focused on tonight. So we'll see where that takes us. But I can't say, life on the line, I'm going to say the Sixers find a way. But if this does get pushed to a Game 7, I'm not going to hold my breath to think that the Sixers are going to be victorious. I would say they'd win because we haven't seen anything like this in NBA history. But then again, there's always a chance for a first. Could this be it? We will certainly watch, witness, and see how this all unfolds. As far as the three other series, Minnesota and Memphis, I'll start there. So you're going to have a game six where Memphis was able to get out of that game thanks to the heroics of John Moran, and not just because of the dunk, and that was a stupendous dunk. I mean, there's no... I mean, you can watch that thing a thousand times and you're still like, geez, how in the hell did he not only was able to get up that high, but just stretch and flush it right through? A remarkable jam, to say the least. But considering that the final seconds there where they got the clutch three-pointer in the corner to tie the game at 109, and then with, what was it, 3.7 seconds left, how Anthony Edwards was over-aggressive on that final play to where Morant got loose, And was able to get to the basket with the left hand. Gets the layup. As the Grizzlies were able to survive and move on to a game six in Minnesota. And you have to look at it this way. If you're a Timberwolf fan, you have to be sick to your stomach. And that probably goes to my guy, Headstyle in Minnesota. Headstyle, my guy Jason, who'd been on the podcast a couple years back. From that state. Big time Minnesota Wild, Twin, Viking, and of course, T-Wolf fan. This is a series that should have been over within five games when you think about it because you blew that big lead there in game three at home. You had an opportunity to win this game. All right, I understand you tied the game, could have went into overtime, and you would think Memphis would have prevailed. But knowing that you had that big lead in game number three, that should have been a victory in your back pocket. And then the game the other night in Memphis, you could have had a chance to steal that game, and they would have been on to the next round, and Memphis would have been pretty much a paper tiger considering everything they did during the regular season, 56 wins, two seed, and that would have been it, over and done with. But you continue to shoot yourselves in the foot, beat yourselves in the process, and now here you are having to go back home in an elimination game, which I think that they can win. I mean, could they not? At home, last-ditch effort to not only push this to a seventh game, but as we all know, Minnesota can win down in Memphis. So to me, this series is far from over. But you really have to scratch your head if you're a T-Wolf fan, knowing that 
this was a series that could have been wrapped up and would have been onto the conference semifinals if it wasn't for a mistake here, a mishap there, and obviously two blown leads in game three to where Memphis would have been on vacation. Will it go a seventh game? We could say that for all these series. I would think Memphis will close it out. I did say Grizzlies in six at the start, so I'm going to stick with that. Again, I hope all these series go to a game seven. And as we pivot, New Orleans and Phoenix, they were able to bounce back in a game five thanks to Mikael Bridges' 31 points, shot 12 of 17 from the field, sprinkling a little Chris Paul, who had an awful game four. And the... Suns were able to dispose of the Pelicans and now we'll have a game six to see whether or not the Pelicans could answer. Now, if you're Chris Paul, I would think you want to get the taste out of that game four. Granted that it was two games ago and you're not going to go backwards, but you'll be in that building to where when you think about it, that's where his career began. But I'm sure he's going to want to redeem himself from his last performance in that building to the point where he says, enough. Let's cut the nonsense. Let's get right to work. Let's dispose of this team. Let's not fly back to Phoenix with these guys on our tail and have to push this first round to a Game 7. Now, there have been reports that Devin Booker may be back sooner than later from this hamstring injury and maybe possibly even tonight. Now, if he's healthy, they should play him. Do you play him 38, 40 minutes? Absolutely not. We understand he's a young kid. We understand that His recovery will be a lot faster than someone in their mid-30s. But you do have to think of the big picture, and we all know that big picture is a championship. So as much as I'm sure Devin Booker wants to get out there, and as much as you want to push him so you could get rid of the Pelicans here and not have to worry about a seventh game in your building, but I'm sure they're going to proceed with caution because the last thing they want is to get Booker out there and he's running up and down the court as if his pants are on fire, and then the next thing you know, he re-aggravates this hamstring, and then he's going to be out longer than you could ever imagine. So that's the one thing I would think of if you're a Suns fan at this moment. Yes, would you be excited to have Booker back in the lineup? Absolutely, but also, you definitely want it to be a thing where he's going to contribute, but not to the point where he's going to be on the floor for pretty much 35 to 40 minutes throughout the course of the game. And then Utah-Dallas with Luka back and what he was able to do there in the Game 5. And who knows what's going to happen with Donovan Mitchell as he's also nursing a hamstring as well. I would think that the Mavs will take care of the Jazz tonight. I don't know if the Jazz will have enough in the tank here to... I get it, they're going to be at home. And who knows what the way these playoffs have gone. You could see a Game 7. I did say Mavs in 7. But I would think maybe with Luka back and some momentum going into that building, knowing that, similar to the Suns-Pelican series, we want to be able to go home, have an extra day of rest, and not have to push us to a Game 7. And as history dictates, last year, they had that seven-game series against the Clippers in the first round, and I could see this being a seven-game series. But I would think if you're Luka Doncic, you want to be able to say, let's close these guys out, we don't want to deal with this. Moving forward, let's just go on to the next round and let the chips fall where they may. But I would hope to see four game sevens. If you were to get four in the first round of an NBA playoff, that's gold. 
and one of them being from an 0-3 series deficit would be even astronomical because now you're talking about NBA history and something that's never been done. And I get it, the casual sports fan, they may not be wrapped up into that. The diehard sports fan will, or obviously the good sports fan, and of course if you're an NBA fan, you're definitely going to pay attention to that. But between the three series out West and the Sixers and Raptors, if they all go to a Game 7, that would bode well for the NBA moving forward. Because that will get people's attention to look forward to what the next round could be. And the matchups and conference semifinals as we get deeper into this NBA playoff. Alright, now let's turn our attention to baseball. I know a lot of people are going to be wondering, oh boy, Jay Reels is going to be on a soapbox here for this one because of his beloved Mets. And I won't even get into their hot start where they've won their first six series of the year, which has never happened in franchise history. Even the 86 Mets, just think about that. So that's an achievement unto itself. They win two out of three in St. Louis behind Max Scherzer's great start where the Met offense in the ninth inning came to life. Granted, Nolan Arenado, which we'll get to in a minute, had a key error in that inning, and then Dom Smith beat out that infield single, which brought in the tying and go-ahead runs, and then Brandon Nimmo hit the home run to pretty much add some insurance. As the Mets were able to win that first game against the Cardinals, and then Chris Bassett there on Tuesday night, six scoreless innings, Mets were able to prevail, hit batsmen everywhere, Alonzo gets hit in the head, Starling Marte, even in the ninth inning, after warnings were pretty much put out by the umpires to both teams, Marte gets hit, all those with the bases loaded, so you know no pitcher's going to go ahead and do that in that particular spot. So now we fast forward to yesterday's game, an afternoon getaway day for the Mets, and I thought a sweep was going to be out of the question, and not because of Carlos Carrasco, who's pitched very well here to start, but he didn't have it. The Cardinals built a big lead, even after the Mets had a 4-1 lead early. But as we get late in the game, eighth inning, J.D. Davis gets hit by a pitch. So right away, you knew there was going to be some fireworks. Yoan Lopez comes in, the bottom of the eighth, in a 10-5 game. And Nolan Arenado gets thrown high and tight. And then the melee ensues. As I said yesterday on TikTok... And I post a lot of videos on there, so you want to make sure you follow me, the J Reels Podcast. Just throwing a little shameless plug. I am not in the batter's box. I understand that. And it's easy for me in New York about, what is it, 1,100 miles away, if that, maybe less than that, to where Arenado gets thrown up and in. Yes, it was close, but please, it wasn't anything close to what Alonzo had to deal with the night before. Or it wasn't under the chin. It was a high and tight pitch. I'll give you that. But it wasn't anywhere close to where Tomas Nito, the catcher, his glove was up near the head of Nolan Arenado. And Arenado knew it was coming. As you saw, he was getting animated there. And then he looks to Lopez and he's gesturing, come on, let's go, or whatever. And then obviously the dugout's empty and here come the bullpens. And yes, you did have some wrestling and Alonso looked like he wanted to get to somebody and Cooler heads did prevail, but here's the thing with all the hit batsmen by the Mets here early on, and it's now 19 times. I mean, think about this. The Mets have been hit almost as many times as the games that they've been playing. 20 games in, 19 times hit. And you heard the comments by Chris Bassett the other night how 
Major League Baseball doesn't care. Now, he's blaming it all on the baseballs, where I just found out as early as this morning that all 30 teams have humidors in their locker room or somewhere in the depths of their respective buildings to where they have a decent grip for these pitchers. And as we've seen so far, with when you look at some of the performances in baseball, the start Max Scherzer's gone off to, you want to even say Chris Bassett. I heard a stat that Kevin Gossman on the Blue Jays has struck out 32, hasn't walked anybody yet. So yes, you could blame the baseballs to a certain extent and not having the sticky stuff, a la Garrett Cole with the black mark on the back of his pants there on Sunday as he beat the Cleveland Indians. But put that all aside, blaming the baseballs is pretty much what Chris Bassett was referring to, but how Major League Baseball doesn't care about being able to curtail in this case, to make sure that the baseballs have a better grip so we avoid incidents like this. Now, could you attribute 100% all on that? Maybe there's some truth to that. But strong words by Bassett, but at the same time, it can't be all on the baseballs. Because how many other teams have been getting hit throughout the course of baseball? Obviously, the Mets are number one, and I believe the second team maybe has five fewer hits batsmen behind them. But... How could you quantify that it's 100% strictly the baseballs? If that's the case, then everybody would be getting beaten left and right. So that's number one. The second thing about this is that the Cardinals will play the Mets in three weeks. They'll come to City Field for four games. So you know there's going to be a residual effect. It's going to be very interesting to see if there's going to be a warning prior to. You wonder if Commissioner Rob Manfred is going to announce something prior to the start of that series to say, hey guys, you're on notice. The first ball that gets up and in, there'll be warnings right off the bat, not only for that game, but for the rest of the week or whenever it takes place. So that's something that we'll have to think about down the road. But also for Arenado, again, I'm not in the batter's box, but that ball wasn't as high and tight. You know, I could see if it was really under the chin or if it was behind his head or over his head. And granted, he knew it was coming. And he didn't like it. He probably rather would have been hitting the butt or in the ribs, for that matter. But that was just, to me, a scene that was boiling, a scene that you knew was coming. And now let's see if it has any residual effect when the two teams meet up in three weeks. And then lastly, my hatred for the Cardinals goes back to the, especially to the 85 season. And this is going back to when the NL East had six teams in each league or in each division, I should say, the East and the West, that 85 team, which I couldn't stand, John Tudor, Willie McGee, Terry Pendleton, going down the line, even 87 when we lost the division that year to pretty much the same cast of characters, even 06, do I even need to bring up 2006, and you still have two members of the team in Yadier Molina and Adam Wainwright, who are still there, so they're always going to be reminders of what could have been in that 2006 season because those were the key components Think about Yadier Molina hitting the home run in the ninth inning off Aaron Heilman. And then, of course, Wainwright with the nasty hook against Carlos Beltran for the Cardinals to win the pennant that year. And now this time around, the hatred roots deep where I have the Cardinals and the Mets going at it. And who knows when they meet up again next month. Is it going to be a playoff atmosphere? Is it going to be rabid? Will fans flock to the ballpark? Will it not be 32 degrees with a wind chill as it is this morning? Let's hope that's not the case. Maybe we'll have a decent 72-degree night 
where we could go out to the ballpark and watch these two teams go at it over the course of four days. And one last thing before I continue. Am I happy about this Mets start? 100%. Am I ecstatic that they have not lost a series to date? Absolutely. And they have the Phillies coming into town, and the Phillies have won three in a row. So you would think that it's going to be hotly contested. Aaron Nola is going to pitch the first game against Tyler McGill Friday night, Sunday night ESPN game, the whole nine. But to the Met fan out there, and to a lot of people that are looking at the first 20 games as if, oh, this could be a special season. Or, oh, I can't believe in my wildest dreams what's happening. Oh, maybe this is the year that we've finally been waiting for. Can we pump the brakes on that? Can we go through at least a quarter of the season before we start deeming this to be the season of all seasons? Can we maybe even get to the All-Star break and see where we're at? And I'm not trying to compare last year's team to this year by any stretch. But did you forget that we were in first place for three months from early May to early August? And granted that the Braves were underachieving the whole year up until early August, same for the Phillies, Forget about the Marlins and Nationals. And as early as August 6th, that series that we went to Philadelphia and got swept, we were a half game in first place, and then from that point on, we were out to sea. Have you forgotten about that? And yes, I understand we have Buck Walter as a manager. Yes, I understand we have Max Scherzer. Yes, I understand that Jacob DeGrom is probably going to come back as the reports shows that now he's at the point where he's going to strengthen that scapula And it's still going to be a few more weeks before he could be diagnosed and cleared on whether he's ready to start, which you're probably not going to see him, I would think, until late June. Maybe they'll wait till the All-Star break. You could take your time. But even with all that being said, we've seen this movie in years past. We've seen this movie last year to the point that they were in first place for pretty much half the season. And what happened? And I don't want to hear, oh, this is a different team, different makeup. Yeah, we've seen that so far. But it's only 20 games. We're just barely an eighth through this regular season. So now you expect me to break out the blue and orange pom-poms to think, oh, this is the year. Oh, there's no looking back. Oh, it's going to be wire to wire in the National League East. Without question. Oh, wait till DeGrom comes back. Oh, we have a manager in Buck that we could trust and we could certainly rally around. No more Mickey Calloway's, Luis Rojas. Uh Uh-uh. That's over and done with. Not this Met fan. And I'm not trying to say this from a jaded, cynical viewpoint. I get it that it may come across that way. But again, we're only an eighth into this baseball season. That's like saying the Jet fan, after two games, 2-0, and let's say they beat the Patriots... And I'll throw another good team in there just for sake of discussion. Let's say they beat the Packers. You're 2-0. Zach Wilson's playing great. Is that Jet fan going to think an eighth into their season? Well, now it's 17 games, but you get the point. That they're going to start lining up the ticker tape parade route in lower Broadway for a Super Bowl? Not a chance. Other baseball news and notes, not really much going on. I know that when we take a look, the Yankees have certainly bounced back 
Now, anytime you play the Orioles, of course, that's going to be the remedy for all your ills, and even the Guardians for that matter. And I understand they came into the series against the Yankees pretty hot. They swept the White Sox at the time who were in the middle of losing seven in a row. But the Yankees are now 12-6, and six, and it seems like all is right in the world in Yankee land as they're just a half game ahead of the Blue Jays at the moment. Other than that, you pretty much have status quo from pretty much what we talked about. And again, I know from a day-to-day basis, you can't really follow the baseball as you would, let's say, the NFL. Now, of course, you can have these winning streaks to where, oh, geez, this team is now not going to say falling out of it, but you can look at what certain teams have done here over the course of the past week, whether you look at the Marlins winning four in a row as they come home this weekend and now are 9-8, and eight, or I talked about the Pirates the other day where they were at 500, now they're 8-10. and 10. I mean, we could go through all these teams and take a look at where they're at, even the Oakland A's, who I picked them as an under, and with all the pieces that they traded in the offseason, they're now 10-9. and nine. But again, we're only 20-some-odd games into the season. And we know that teams are going to get off to hot starts. We're going to see teams that get off to surprising starts that we were not expecting. But let's get to 40 games. Let's get to Memorial Day and really take a look at the baseball landscape and see where we're at then, especially when it comes to not only the teams that are expected to contend, but those teams that are surprises that weren't expected to be there. And here they are at the first juncture of the baseball season playing pretty well. So, we'll certainly keep our eyes on that. But as far as any other baseball news and notes that I could say at this moment, other than the Mets and the Bean Brawl stuff that we just went into, uh, there really isn't much to add to that. Now, as we turn to the NHL, the season finally ends tomorrow. I know that the hockey fan could say, oh, finally, where we can look ahead to the postseason and pretty much everything is under wraps when it comes to the playoff races, in particular the West, because that was the last race, if you will, and there was not a lot of intrigue or drama leading up to it, to where Vegas was finally eliminated last night. They'll miss the playoffs for the first time in their franchise's history. So pretty much everything is set. Now we could talk about seeding in a minute, and I'll get into the NHL playoff picture Monday. Obviously, we'll go through the first-round matchups at that time. But as we look at it now, The Western Conference real quick with Vegas now out, Nashville in, Dallas has the number one seed. You could talk about one of those two teams flip-flopping as the Predators still have two games left on their schedule, but we're pretty much set to where we have our eight teams in each conference. I know we could talk about some of these injuries heading into the postseason where your name is Alexander Ovechkin with the Capitals, and that's still unknown whether or not he's going to be ready game one next week. The Rangers suffered a couple of injuries with, in particular, Artemi Panarin with an upper body injury that he left with in the game a couple nights ago against Carolina. Also, his line mate, Andrew Kopp, that's one that we're going to have to pay attention to as well as far as his lower body is concerned. As we know, the NHL, everything has to be secretive with these injuries. They can't pinpoint if it's a knee, calf, elbow, shoulder, etc. So we understand that that's the way the NHL is going to play it here. So we have some of those injuries that we're going to have to keep an eye on that are huge, especially with those two teams in particular, the big seasons that they've had. Yes, Washington, I know, made it in as a wild card, but anytime you have Ovechkin as he gets later into his career, and we all know he won that cup a few years ago, which was a big 
piano off of his back. But now we could fast forward. We could look ahead. Now, I'm not going to get into the seedings just yet. We could kind of speculate as to who's going to play who. I get that. But I'd rather it be official. Let's see what happens in both the East and the West. As I said, Dallas and Nashville, with Nashville having that game in hand, they could actually overtake these stars and maybe get that number one wildcard slot. So, of course, that's going to affect the seedings out West. And same for the East when it comes to Boston and Washington. As we know, Washington has had that spot for quite some time. And as it looks right now, you can forget it because they're going to have the second wildcard spot. And we could pretty much even break down the first round matchups in the East. But like I said, I'd rather do it uniform. Let's do it all on Monday when we preview the playoffs and obviously go through the first round at that time. That's pretty much what you have with the NHL. I wish there was more to add, more to chime in about. But as I said, with Vegas losing last night, all your teams are set in the NHL playoff, and now it's just a matter of who gets seated where. And then to turn my attention to the NFL draft, we get that this is a moment for the NFL fan that they salivate. This is a moment that the diehard and even casual NFL fan, they'll put the jersey on, they'll have parties in their living rooms. I'm sure that Vegas is going to be a buzz. I don't know what the scene is going to look like as the draft is taking place out in Vegas this year. But all I can tell you is that this is one draft. And we all understand that the quarterbacks are the ones that drive the draft on any given year. So whenever you have two, three, four quarterbacks that are possibly going to be first-round picks, it's going to be all the buzz because either teams are going to jockey the position to move up to get that quarterback or the quarterback may fall due to their draft stock. We understand that there are so many different storylines just revolving that position on any given year that we could certainly wrap our arms around and hang our hats on to say, all right, who's going to go where? Who's going to be the guy that's going to get selected by this team? Who's going to move up to get this guy? And you're still going to get that, but without the quarterbacks. And as it is, you have eight teams, count them, eight, that have two picks in the first round, including the Jets and Giants, who I believe have four of the top ten picks in this draft. So the impact here locally is going to be enormous. And what the Jets and Giants are going to do, I have no clue. Now, the Jets, you know they need playmakers. They have their quarterback in tow. They have the left side of their offensive line set. They need receivers, tight ends, even a running back for that matter. And, of course, they're going to need some defensive help as well. So, you figure the Jets are going to go that route. As for the Giants, you figure offensive line is going to be pretty much at the top of their leaderboard, or I should say the top of their draft board, excuse me. I'm sure they're also going to add some defensive pieces, On top of that, if they could get maybe another wide receiver, I get that they drafted Kadarius Tony in the first round last year, but the Giants, they're going to try to do whatever it takes to at least protect the quarterback in a one Daniel Jones, as you would think. This is probably going to be his last year to prove that he's a guy that the Giants can bank on here for the next five to eight years. Other than that, Jacksonville has the first pick. When you look at the two defensive players, the kid from Georgia and, of course, Michigan, those are going to be the top two guys that we're going to look at here. With those guys being Georgia defensive lineman Trevon Walker and the Michigan kid Aiden Hutchinson. After that, it's pretty much a toss-up. You would think a lot of defense is going to be taken here early. 
I know Derek Stingley Jr. is going to be a guy that's going to be high on a lot of people's draft boards. Do the Texans go after a guy like Stingley? You also have a lot of offensive linemen here in this draft. As we talked about, you figure the Giants are going to take someone, maybe the Alabama kid, Evan Neal. He's a guy that I'm sure is going to be the first guy off the board as far as offensive linemen go. And again, the quarterbacks, we know who they are. It could be a scenario where Kenny Pickett, a lot of people look at him in his small hands. Will he be drafted in the first round? Malik Willis out of Liberty. All the workouts and the arm strength and everything that he had built up here throughout the combine and the buzz that's been around his name heading into this draft. Will he be picked in the first round by a team? That also remains to be seen. Again, it's not about the quarterback here in the first round, though. Now, we can argue which quarterback may be the first off the board, and you would think somebody's going to pick one of these guys, whether it's a reach or not, whether you're at the bottom of the draft. And as we look at it now, as I take a peek from 20 on down, you know, there may be even be talk that the Steelers could pick Malik Willis based on some of the things I've read with Mike Tomlin and the meetings that he's had with Willis. Now, could that be a reach at 16? That remains to be seen, but we know the Steelers have drafted very well over the years, and if they have the belief in this kid, knowing that he could be their starter, he may not be that this year with Mitchell Trubisky signed for two years, but maybe with a little grooming and him holding the clipboard for a couple of years and then being anointed that spot, similar to maybe what San Francisco's doing with Trey Lance, who knows? But when we look at 20 on down, whether you're New Orleans needing a quarterback, whether you're Tennessee needing a quarterback, and I don't want to hear about Ryan Tannehill. I know he signed for a couple more years, but still. Possibly Tampa Bay to be the heir apparent to Tom Brady. Kansas City's not going to draft a quarterback. Maybe Seattle at 32. A lot of the mock drafts have them picking Matt Corral, the kid out of Ole Miss. So we shall see. And we know the first round's tonight, prime time. The rating's going to be through the roof. You would expect a high rating, I believe, ESPN, NFL Network, even ABC. Then you'll have rounds two and three tomorrow, and then four through seven on Saturday. And I don't have a mock draft. If you guys listen to me, or if this is your first time listening, I'm not going to go through every pick. I'm not breaking down the offensive tackle that may go in the third round that's a sleeper, or a guy that has shot up the draft board to where he could have been a second round or third round pick and now it could be pick number one who's going to be a reach who's going to be a stretch I'm not going to sit here and dissect all that let's just see how it plays out especially in this first round we'll see what players do fall in the draft who falls out of the first round in particular the quarterbacks and not that they're anything that they're going to be to write home about but it would be fascinating that if only one of these guys was selected or two does a guy like Desmond Ritter, the kid from Cincinnati, does he fall out of the first round or does he even go deeper than that? So these are questions that we'll have answered and we'll have to recap here on Monday when we reconvene and break down all that's happened here in Vegas over these next three days. And that'll do it, people. Yes, quick, tidy, in and out. It's one of the reasons why I do the Thursday because I know Monday, again, to have an hour and 10, an hour and 15, an hour and 20, especially if you haven't heard me for the first time, you may say, I'm not going to invest this 
much time in this guy, or if you want to fast forward to some of the parts where you'll see in the description, if you just want to hear my take on baseball, on the NBA playoffs, etc., I understand. But because it's nice and tidy, because we were able to have a second podcast this week, it makes it for easy listening. It makes it for that tidy one hour or 50 some odd minutes for you to just be in and out to listen to what it is I have to say. And I appreciate you stopping by to listen and get your take as a guy that's not that household name. Yes, I'm not on a major network. Yes, I'm an independent one-man show here doing it all. Editing, writing, hosting, producing, even marketing, advertising, etc. And that's why, again, I appreciate and certainly do not take your participation for granted. And if you could do so as part of my marketing team, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe, rate, review this podcast on wherever you get your podcasts. Please, throw me a few stars, write a review. I would greatly appreciate it just so we can increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. If you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, whatever it may be, you could do so at the following. On TikTok, the J Reels Podcast. On Instagram, J Reels or the J Reels Podcast. On Twitter, J Reels 1, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast or the old-fashioned way, the J Reels Podcast at gmail.com. Please hit me up. I'll be more than happy to follow up with you ASAP. And if you want to contribute to this endeavor, do so by going to www.patreon.com slash the J Reels Podcast. That's P as in Paul, A-T as in Tom, R-E-O-N as in Nancy. Whatever you want to put forth, we'll go 100% to this podcast, whether it's the production, the upkeep of the website, the equipment, everything and anything that entails what it is that I do to come crystal clear through my microphone to your earbuds or speakers because whether you do or do not know, This is what I love to talk about, people. I've been talking about sports pretty much since I came out of the womb. Whether it's my critiques, opinions, thoughts, analysis, hot takes on anything and everything that happens on the world of the diamond, ice, gridiron, hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, boxing ring, octagon, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx to South Beach to South Central to South Pacific and all points beyond. Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.